great to have you here. A um, couple of things just quickly. I'm super sick, so I reckon I'm going to lose my voice. I have water to help me not lose my voice, but if I drink all of this, I'll need a bathroom break during the talk, so that's going to be a bit awkward, right? So we'll see how we go. Also, dumbest thing ever, I wore blue today. Is anyone else wearing blue? So I guess you could stay. I mean, it's, it's, it's a church, right? So we accept everyone here. So I'm so sorry to all the Queensland supporters. So um, it is great to have you here. It's great. It's great to be here. I'll try to have some energy today. Now, has anyone got one of these? This is a mini trampoline. I, um, I like many people, get onto stupid fitness um, schemes or gimmicks. And several years ago... I decided, I don't know why, but I decided, I was at the uh, Amart All Sports, and I decided to actually grab a mini tramp. Now, it's embarrassing as a guy to buy a mini tramp. Um, I know that's probably sexist, but it just didn't really, you know, there's all the guys working out in the gym. I've got myself a mini tramp. Anyway, I was a bit awkward about it. I was dating a girl at the time. I said, look, I'm embarrassed about buying this. Do you reckon I could just give you the money and you could buy it? To which she said yes. Now, all that's fine. <coughs> Um, I got home, I put it, I set it up, it took a bit of time to set up, I set up in my room, I listened to the kind of manliest music I could, and I'm jumping up and down in my room trying to get fit. This is a dumb idea. In case anyone's wondering, this does not work. Anyway, I'm jumping and I'm jumping and I'm jumping, and then, I don't know if you remember this as a youngster, but when you're on the trampoline and then you kind of stack it and you do that overbalancing thing, so I almost stacked the mini tramp, which was not good. Anyway, I persisted. I kept jumping, kept jumping. Five minutes in, I'm not making this up. I wish this was made up. I literally fell through the middle and broke the mini tramp. I'm like, this is embarrassing. Anyway, someone said to me, you should ring up and just take it back. I'm like, clearly it's not the mini tramp, it's me, right? I'm just too heavy. They're like, no, no. Yeah, so I ring up Amart All Sports. I'm like, hi, my name's Mark. Um, my girlfriend bought a mini tramp earlier today. Um, but like, um, look, this is a bit embarrassing, but you know, like I was jumping on it and um, like it broke, like I fell right through the middle. And the lady on the other phone's like, that's completely fine, just bring it right back. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I said to her, I'm feeling so relieved because I was so embarrassed. She says to me, um, yeah, that's fine, just bring it right back. And I said so confidently, this kind of thing must happen all the time, does it? And she said, no, this has never happened, but we'll take it back anyway. I'm like, seriously, it's so embarrassing. Anyway, I've done lots of things to try to get fit. What I've learned, even just in case anyone wants to know, I'm actually super fit at the moment, but I'm about 15, 20 kilos overweight. It's diet, people. That's it. You can, you can exercise, you can lift weights, you can do cardio, you can do CrossFit. I'm doing it all. You just can't eat crap. I keep eating bad food, so it's not good. So anyway, that's the problem. But there are lots of things that can hold us back from exercise. Sometimes we're tired. I want to exercise most days of the week. I couldn't exercise yesterday because I was sick and I had marking to do for school and a whole heap of different things. Sometimes it's busyness. I remember neglecting exercise for years because I was too busy. Sometimes we just don't have anyone to work out with. Is anyone else like me? They need to have someone to work out with. Is that... Yep, I, I just need someone else to motivate me. Or we have a bad experience. Like maybe you've had a bad experience on a mini tramp or maybe some kind of tragic, you know, treadmill accident at the gym. Who knows what it is? 
there are many things that can hold us back from exercise. And in the same way, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this topic of prayer and we've been looking at some of the things that can hold us back from praying. And in week one, we talked about this idea of commitment versus desperation. And we said the problem is, is a lot of the time, if you're kind of a church person, that what they try to do in church, what sometimes people in positions up here or leaders, they'll, they'll try to motivate us to pray by saying, you need to be more disciplined. You need to be more committed. You need to be more focused. You need to have like a quiet time and talk about spiritual disciplines. And all those things are fine, but it's very much about commitment. And what we said was, look, that's all fine, but eventually our commitment will fail us. The, pe- the reason people pray is not because they are committed or disciplined, because ultimately that will fail. The reason we pray is because we desperately need God. In the same way, when a person becomes a Christian, we don't make a commitment to live for Jesus. That's not becoming a Christian. A Christian is someone who realizes their commitment to live for Jesus is going to fail. A Christian is someone who realizes my desperate need for Jesus to save me and transform me. It is driven by desperation. Week two, we looked at the escalator versus the elevator. So we looked at the idea that with an escalator, when you jump on an escalator, it's automatic. You don't need to do anything. And we said sometimes we can approach God like He always works on automatic. But then we said, well, that's fine. Sometimes God does work on automatic. But other times, God very much is saying, not out of like trying to play games with us or anything like that, but because He loves us, He will wait until we pray. Like an elevator, it doesn't go anywhere until we push the button. And sometimes God says, even though I could work on automatic, I am going to wait until my people pray so that when I work, they will attribute it to me, not just luck, not just circumstance, not just coincidence. Anyway, so it's the last two weeks. This week, how are we going? Good? Just covered two weeks of stuff in about three minutes. What we're going to look at is a third reason or a third kind of factor that can hold us back from praying. And this week, we're really looking at the realistic versus the unrealistic. Let me see if I explain. If I ask someone, and I'm talking maybe now to more church people, if you're not a church person, by the way, you're really, really welcome here. This is a fantastic place to come and explore Christianity. We hope you feel really welcome. Hope you feel like you can become part of the community as you're kind of processing everything. But if you're a church person, if I was to ask you, do you believe in God? You're obviously probably going to say, if you've kind of been around church for a while, yeah, I'm, I'm into this whole God thing. I'm checking it all out, yep. And I asked you, well, if you believe that the God is real, Do you believe that God is all-powerful and that He is all-knowing and all-loving? And you would say, yes, of course, that's, that's what God is. That's great. But if I then asked, okay, does that mean that we can pray for anything and everything, believing that nothing is impossible for God? It gets a bit trickier to answer that, doesn't it? So it's one thing to say, well, I've decided I'm going to pray that God gets me through the weekend. I'm a teacher. I've got about 30 hours of marking to do this weekend. I had to prepare this talk today, and I'm sick. It's been a difficult weekend. Do I pray that God helps me get through the weekend? Of course. Is that a realistic thing to pray for? Yes. Have I seen God answer prayers like this before? Yes. Can God orchestrate circumstances on my behalf? Yes. Is this a good thing, realistic thing to pray for? Yes. 
Okay, great. What about if you're going for a job interview? Is it okay? Is it realistic to ask God that he would help us get the job that we want? Yeah, we see God open doors for people and they get jobs. We see these kind of realistic prayers in action and people pray them and we see answers to them. But what about someone comes along, they've been born blind and they are saying, I'm going to pray that God gives me sight. Is that realistic? Do we see God answer prayers like that? Or what about the, um, the, the guy whose who's, who's wife left him and she's actually gone through, they've filed the divorce papers and they've been divorced now for three years. But he wants her back. Is it realistic to expect that God might answer that prayer? God, bring me back my wife, my ex-wife who divorced me and has no, wants nothing to do with me? Is that a realistic prayer to pray? Should we only pray prayers that seem within the realm of of realism? That God is likely to answer, that we've seen God answer these things before. We see this as on the table as something we can pray for. Or can we pray for anything and everything? Should we encourage, you know, I'm tone deaf. Should you encourage me to pray that God gives me the gift of being able to sing? Is that realistic or unrealistic? You know, should should the, the... the, the man that's been born blind, is it realistic? Should we encourage him to pray that God would give him sight? Should we encourage the New South Wales supporter to pray they win tonight? It's unrealistic. <laughs> right? I've got a friend whose son was born a few years ago now, and he was born with a genetic, I don't know the science, and I'm a bit reluctant to go into it actually because he didn't want me to share too much, but basically a genetic disorder. And he has friends who are part of churches like this and they really believe that God loves us and cares for us and is very powerful. And they say, we want to come and pray for your son. So they come along and they want to pray and they pray for healing. And he's saying, my son is not sick. My son has a genetic disorder. It's so rare. There's like six people in the world with this genetic disorder. You're actually asking God to pray uh, to, to change the genetic makeup of my son. I mean, is that realistic to pray for these things? And if so, are we allowed to pray for the unrealistic things? So the question I want to ask today is this. Should we have realistic expectations when we pray? It's a big question, hey. Should we have realistic expectations when we pray? Um, if you have a Bible there, if, if you don't, it's cool. We're going to put it up on the screen. We're going to look at a, a real-life story that happened about 2,000 years ago. If you're new to the Bible, the Bible is made up of lots and lots of different books. It's actually a library or a collection of books. If you, if you want to start reading the Bible, a good place to start is to read one of the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're sometimes referred to as the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of John, but really they're just biographies. And the word gospel means good news. So they're called the gospel because it's good news that Jesus came for the broken and sinful people like me. In Matthew's biography of Jesus, in chapter 8, we read about a Roman centurion who came to Jesus asking for help. Verse 5, this is what he says. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come 
and heal him. Now, you might read this story, I might read this story and go, well, isn't this kind of what we know about Jesus? Even if you're not a Christian, you kind of know that Jesus went around apparently healing the sick and performing miracles. And Jesus we know is kind and loving. Isn't this normal for people to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I have a friend, I have a sister, I have a brother, I have a son, I have a daughter, I have a servant, in this case a servant, who's at home sick. And he's lying there, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus, could, could you heal him? And Jesus, of course, says, yes, I'll come to you. But this is actually fairly strange. This person, this centurion, was not Jewish. He didn't believe in the same God that Jesus believed in. He was a Roman soldier. And centurion, sentry means 100. He had a very high status in the Roman army. He had authority over 100 other soldiers, about 100 other soldiers, hence the name centurion. So this was a very powerful person who would not necessarily have believed in Yahweh, the God of the Jews, the God that Jesus worshipped. So why is he coming to Jesus? What is it that he can see in Jesus that others don't see? What is it that he believes about Jesus that others don't believe? We read on. Verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. And you're like, again, hang on a second. You are this centurion. You are this very brave, powerful person with all sorts of authority, way more authority than Jesus, way more status than Jesus, way more power than Jesus. How can you say to Jesus, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof? What is this centurion able to see that no one else sees? What does he believe about Jesus that no one else believes? And we read on. But just say the word, the centurion says, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. It's as if he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, I've seen what you can do. I get how you work. You speak and things happen, Jesus. I understand there is something going on here that other people don't know. I myself understand authority. I have authority. I'm a person who has authority over me. And I'm a person who has authority over other things, over other people. And Jesus, I've seen what you can do. You are a person with authority. So just say the word, Jesus, in the same way I command my servant, I command my soldiers, do this, go, come, and it is done. Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this, verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, so he would have had a bunch of other believers with him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Now, this is crazy. Jesus has just told his followers who've been with him Who've, who believed the miracles, who believed in the, the God that Jesus believes in, the God of the Jews. Je Jesus has just said, all you followers, all of Israel, all the whole Jewish population, 
who've been worshipping Yahweh for centuries, none of them have faith like this centurion. I've seen no faith in the whole of Israel that even remotely compares to the faith of this centurion. And you're like, Jesus, what, what, what is going on here? Why is this Roman centurion who, who doesn't understand everything, who wouldn't have been who growing up in the, in the faith, who wouldn't necessarily understand all the theology or whatever, how is it that you're saying that this Roman centurion has more faith than the rest of Israel? Let me see if I explain. Whenever Jesus came, or sorry, whenever someone was sick and they needed God to perform a miracle, they would come close to Jesus, wouldn't they? Like we have stories about the leper. How does Jesus heal the leper? He touches the leper. How does Jesus heal the blind beggar? He rubs mud in the blind beggar's eyes. How does Jesus heal the woman who had the, 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 the condition for a long-term period? How, do, how, do, how does Jesus heal her? Simply by allowing her to touch his cloak. How does all of that happen? By getting close to Jesus, by being in his physical presence. We even have a story of a crippled man who needed to be healed. And I don't know how all this works. I don't understand the, the whole Jewish architecture system. But somehow his mates grabbed him, put him on a stretcher, climbed up onto a roof of the house of where Jesus happened to be in, made a hole in the roof and lowered him down just so that they could be near Jesus and he could heal this crippled man. Everyone who got healed had to get close to Jesus. This centurion comes to Jesus and says, my servant is at home sick and paralyzed. Jesus immediately says, I will go to him. I will go to him and heal him. And the centurion says, no, 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 no. You don't need to come to me. You are a man who understands authority. I'm a man who understands authority. Jesus, you have authority. Say the word and it will be done. What can this centurion see that no one else sees? What does he believe that no one else believes? Why is it that Jesus said there is no such person in Israel that has faith like this centurion? I'm going to show you a video. This is some highlights from my favorite superhero movies. Check this out. He's a friend from work. Oh, come on. Stopping. Neither are we. 
some news? You have the right to remain silent! Hey, buddy, I think you lost this! Those wings carbon fiber? Is this stuff coming out of you? That would explain the rigidity flexibility ratio, which, gotta say, that's awesome. Man. I don't know if you've been in a fight before, but there's usually not this much talking. All right, sorry, my bad. There we go. So one of the, um, is anyone else a Marvel or DC fan? I feel like I showed a movie the other day and no one cared. Do you care about this? Has anyone not seen Endgame? What are you doing? Okay. I reckon if you went straight after church, you could probably see Endgame and then be home for the State of Origin. I will plan your day. Are you okay? Are you guys, why are you here? Do anyone hear about that guy in, in Hong Kong? This is so bad. I don't know why I'm telling you this. I have ADD too, so I'm not just sick, but I have ADD. Anyway, so a guy came out of the cinema in Endgame, uh, after Endgame in Hong Kong, and he spoiled it for everyone that was coming in. He got beat up. This is real. This is life or death stuff, people, right? So um, this is what happens. In superhero movies, every now and again, comic book nerds, and I know several, uh, they decide to debate. You can read debates on Reddit and online. Who is going to win? Batman versus Superman, who's going to win? You know, The Flash versus Shazam, who's going to win? Wonder Woman versus... Um, the, who's the rock playing? Black Adam. Who, you know, there's all these kind of debates that go on in superhero world. I want to propose an imaginary battle between the Hulk, Spider-Man, Superman, and Jesus. Who would win? Everyone's going to say Jesus. We're in church, right? You have to say Jesus. Why? Well, Everyone has limitations, right? The Hulk is stupid and angry, right? Spider-Man can't fly. Uh, Superman can be taken down with kryptonite. But Jesus doesn't have limitations. He is not a superhero figure with supernatural gifts and abilities. Get this. He is not a superhero figure with supernatural gifts and abilities, with a set of limitations. Jesus is the God of the universe who spoke a word and everything came into being. He speaks a word and raises the dead. He speaks a word and calms the storms. He speaks a word and heals the sick. This is the God of the universe. And it seems as if everyone else saw Jesus as a superhero figure who had some kind of supernatural ability to heal and perform miracles. But he had limitations. He had to be in the presence of people in order to heal them. And Jesus didn't correct them. He didn't, he didn't make a big thing of that. He's like, look, I'll, I'll come to you if you need me to come to you to make it more palatable for you. But the centurion saw what no one else saw. He believed what no one else believed. This was not a superhero figure with supernatural abilities, but a set of limitations. This was God who speaks and it will be done. This is why he had more faith than anyone else in Israel. So here's the thing. This is what I know about prayer. The more 
we believe that God is without limitations, the more we believe that Jesus is without limitations, the more our prayers will be without limitation. The more I believe that there is nothing that holds God back, the more I believe there is nothing that holds Jesus back, the more my prayers will not be held back. Let me see if I explain this in a different way. Imagine, um, I don't know if people have sleepovers anymore, but imagine um, we all go to someone's house tonight, we watch The Origin, and a whole heap of people crash. Um, let's say it's at my house. I don't know if my house is a good place to come, but you all come to my house to watch The Origin, and a few of you crash, and um, you wake up the next morning. I'm like, do you guys want breakfast? And you're like, sure. And I ask you, what do you want? Now, because you're at my house, you're just in a kind of regular kind of kitchen, probably not as good as the one that's up on the screen there, but it's, it's just a regular house. What would you ask for? You might ask for cereal. Would that be a reasonable thing to ask for? Sure. You might say, look, I'm actually not after cereal. I wouldn't mind toast. Have you got some bread? Yep. Or what about, um, I don't know, Mark, if you're able to do this, but have you got eggs? Could you cook up some eggs? And you would ask for these things, and that would be a reasonable, realistic thing to ask for because you're at my house. But what if instead of eating breakfast at my house, I said, hey, why don't we go out to a fancy restaurant? Why don't we drive in the city and we're going to go to one of those big restaurants, those big buffets, and we're going to get the best food we can find. So we go to the buffet. What are you going to ask for? Well, you could ask for toast. You could ask for cereal. You could ask for bacon and eggs. But you could also ask for like, these fancy croissant things. Does anyone know what these are? I think they're called chocolate croissants. Or you could get like just a regular croissant. You know, I've got regular croissants here. Um, you could get like a muffin. Is any, are you allowed to have chocolate muffins? You could have a chocolate muffin, right? Or if you're really fancy, you get one of these big mother waffles, right? So you could, you could ask for more extravagant things. Why? Because we are no longer at my house, we are at the fancy restaurant. Now, this is the key. What we believe is on offer determines what we're willing to ask for. Would you agree? You don't ask me for fancy waffles. I don't even know what they're called, right? Like, it's probably some French name for them. I don't know, right? What we believe is on offer determines what we're willing to ask for. And here's the problem. We walk around, especially me, I, I'm, I'm the worst person when it comes to having faith. I walk around as if very few things are on offer. And I ask God for help. I ask God to do things, but I, I kind of keep it within the realm of realism. Of course, God, I can, I'm feeling a bit sick right now. Yeah, can you, can you help me get through the next few days? Of course, God, you know, someone's applying for a new job. Of course, I'm going to ask God to help with that. I've seen God help people get jobs. That's realistic. Do I really believe that God could help the, the, the man that's been born blind see? Do I really believe it's realistic to ask God for the, for the divorced husband whose, whose wife left him three years ago to ask that God would bring her back? Well, that's not realistic, so I'm not going to pray for that. But what we're seeing is this. The centurion tells us that everything is on offer. Now, I am not, I'm being very clear. I am not saying God says yes to anything and everything. 
Of course God says no. We know this, right? We're, many of us are parents. I'm not, but you are, right? God has to say no at times. But if we treat God as if not everything is on offer, there's a lot of things we won't ask for. Whereas I think, I know, I need to expand my picture of God and realize that anything and everything is on offer. There is no limitation. God is not a superhero figure with some supernatural abilities, but is held back by limitations. God, Jesus, is the God of the universe who can speak a word and raise the dead. Speak a word and heal the sick. Speak a word and calm the storm. Let me see if I can tell you some stories. A few years ago now, several years ago, uh, some friends and I were involved in starting a church. Now, if you've never started an organisation, you probably just think these things just kind of pop up out of nowhere, but it's a lot of work to start an organisation, especially when you're like, 24-year-old kid who doesn't know what they're doing, you got no financial backing, no idea, never done anything like this before, never been on staff at a church before, didn't have any kind of structure or anything. We met at a friend's house. I organised for a few of us to get together. Five people rocked up in my mate's bedroom and we prayed. And that was the first meeting. And I said to them, hey, listen, we're going to pray that in three months' time, we're going to have a public information night. That was our big night. What a great name for our first big event. We're going to have a public information night, and we're going to pray that 50 people rock up. And everyone's looking at me going, there's five of us in our mate's bedroom. Like, seriously, he hasn't even made the bed. Like, this is embarrassing. We don't have a church. This isn't going to work. And I said, well, what have we got to lose? Why don't we just pray? And we prayed. And we kept praying. And once a week, we'd meet. And we kept praying and kept praying, and, our, and our, this was a big deal. Our group of five grew to a group of 10. We had doubled our growth in like three or four weeks, right? And that was it. And we're praying and we're praying and we're praying, and we're like, I don't know what's going to happen. We are going to have on a Tuesday night, a public information night at Kelvin Grove QUT. How's it going to work? I don't know. Have we got money? I'll just use my credit card. That was pretty much what I did, right? It was crazy. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. Was it realistic? No. Had I seen God do stuff like this before? No. Was it unrealistic? Was it outside of what I'd seen God do? Yes. But what if God is a God without limitations? So we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. 67 people rocked up. Someone then said to us who was mentoring us, they said, you've got to start now. I'm like, we're not ready to start. We're going to start like 12 months from now. They're like, you've got to start now. You're 67 people. So for the next three months, we had what we call pre-season. No one was allowed to invite their friends. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't want any of the public coming. 66 people averaged, we had 66 people averaged during that time. Even though we told people don't invite their friends, people did. People who weren't even Christians became Christians. It was crazy. We then launched three months later with over 120 people and then continued to plant and plant and plant. And we targeted, we we basically said we need to be the kind of church for people who don't go to church. And we had 24% conversion growth per year. Was that because we knew what we were doing? We had no idea what we were doing. It was because we believed that maybe for a second, God could do the unrealistic. God could do, should I say, the impossible. And what do we lose by praying? I could tell you story after story. Um, Several years ago, Um, I was going through a really difficult time in my life and I really needed God to speak to me. 
And I'd heard these stories about where God speaks to people. And, you know, I'm very, I don't know if you're skeptical of that, but I'm very skeptical of that. So I said, God, I would love for you to bring people into my life who could speak to me and kind of share with me what you want me to do. But they have to be random strangers who I don't know or people I know who know nothing about my life. So I prayed and I fasted. I did this thing where it's just where you're desperate for God to work. And I fasted and I fasted. And I said, God, I need you to do this. Over the space of 18 months, I recorded all of this. On average, every six weeks, a random person who maybe met me 10 years ago or an ex-student I used to teach or someone who randomly added me on Facebook, I'd said nothing about this publicly, would contact me and say, hey, Mark, um, I don't know you. But I was praying this morning and I felt like God prompted me to contact you and share this with you. For for 18 months, I fasted. I didn't fast for 18 months, but I fasted on and off for 18 months and I prayed. And I asked God, would you do this crazy thing? That has never happened to me before that time. And it's never happened to me since that time. We see God work. Let me just finish with a few quotes. Martin Luther, the guy who started the Protestant Reformation, he said this, We always ask for less than we should and don't even think God is willing to give us what we ask for. We don't understand that what we pray is about is more important than we can comprehend. We think small, but the Lord is great and powerful. He expects us to ask for great things. He wants to give them to us and demonstrate His almighty power. We are in the habit of praying for trivial and insignificant things. When we pray, we don't take into account the great majesty of God. God has plenty of resources and he's not a tightwad. I love that he uses that word. He he generously offers us the best gifts available in heaven and on earth. He expects that we will ask him for many things and that we will sincerely believe we will get what we request. Ian Bounds, Ian Bounds has written about eight or nine books on prayer. They're excellent. You should read them. How the unbelief of men and women has limited the power of God to work through prayer. What limitations have disciples of Jesus Christ put upon prayer by their prayerlessness? Oswald Chambers, a very famous writer, he said this, If we would only get into the way of bringing our limitations before God and telling Him He cannot do these things, we should begin to see the awful wickedness of unbelief and why our Lord was so vigorously against it. Unbelief is is the most active thing on earth. Unbelief is the fretful, worrying, questioning, self-centered spirit. To believe is to stop all this and let God work. Andrew Murray said this, Beware in your prayers above everything else of limiting God, not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what He can do. Expect unexpected things above all that we can ask or think or imagine. I confess, I acknowledge that I limit God by my prayers or that my prayers are limited by my limited view of God. And I've got to constantly beat into my silly head. God is not a superhero figure with strengths and limitations. He is the God of the universe who knows no limit. He can speak a word and make anything happen. Can he say no? Of course he can say no. Good, kind fathers and mothers say no to their children at the right time. But that is not his intent. He is loving and kind and wants to give good gifts to his children. 
He wants to say yes. He is ready to say yes to every and any opportunity. We simply need to ask. One of the great things about God is that it's not just his power that is without limit, but it's also his love. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Church of Rome. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are going to take what many churches call communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist now. And this is really a time to celebrate that Jesus died on a cross to pay for our sin. He did what is unreasonable. He did what was unthinkable. He did what, was, what many of us would have thought was impossible. That the God of the universe would look at us, would look at me, would look at you in all our sinfulness and die on a cross to pay for our sin in full. He was condemned so that we could become uncondemnable. And the Apostle Paul, in light of this, writes to the church of Rome and he says, listen, because of this event, not just because I've seen answer to prayer, not just because I've, I've, I've sensed God working in my life, not just because I have a fuzzy feeling, but because of an event that happened in history, I am convinced neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God. If God was willing to send His Son to die on the cross for sinners, for rebellious people, for people who were totally ignorant to His existence, how much more should we be confident of His love? It was why we were still sinners that Christ died for us. So we're going to have a time of communion now. And if you're saying today, hey, listen, I'm not sure about this whole thing, but I think today I want to trust in this God. I want to put my faith in Him. I want to entrust my life and eternity into Jesus' hands. This might be your way of saying to God, I want your death on the cross to pay for my sins. And I would invite you to come to take the bread and drink the wine as a symbol, as a, as, a, as a sign that you are trusting in Jesus. And for those of us who've trusted in Jesus many years ago or many days ago, many months ago, this is a common practice all around the world to remind us of what truly matters. Let's just take some time now to confess our sins and then just come up when you're um, free.